Ladies and gentlemen. One, two, three, Want to be better, richer, happier? Of course you do. Welcome to the Be Less Crap podcast. Let's go. A podcast devoted to helping you become a less mediocre human. With your host, very much a work in progress herself, Charlotte Shurston. Hello and welcome. My name is Charlotte and this is the Be Less Crap podcast. Um, today's guest is a writer and illustrator who's doing an excellent job at teaching and inspiring us to be better humans uh, with her arty activism. Uh, she does this with terrific words, beautiful illustrations, and a good splash of humor, and a rather committed following on Instagram, where she is known at Eco with M. Emily Ellers, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for chatting with us today. Oh, thank you for having me. <laughs> Now, um, full disclosure here, I have um, read Emily's book over the last couple of days, which is called Hope is a Verb, uh, which outlines the six steps to radical optimism when the world seems broken. And I realized very quickly that Emily is a much better, way more sustainable, nicer human being than I am fact. Um, so Emily, I guess my first question is, have you always been such a good person, sort of so committed to the planet and you know, uh, wrapped up with passion and eco-warrior enthusiasm to do better? Or where, where did this stem from, would you say? Uh, I've always had this kind of innate love of, of nature. I don't know what came first. When I was a little girl in England, I one of my first main memories is that this was when lots of um, images of whaling was going on. And mum said that I got very torn up about it. So I don't know if it's kind of chicken or egg, if that kind of inspired me or if I already kind of naturally wanted to kind of protect it and then that spurred me on. Um, so, yeah, so that's always, I, th I think um, Greta, Greta Thunberg, she talks about having Asperger's and how it makes her hyper-focus. And looking back, I've got um, ADHD. And so I think that's my hyper-focus is environmentalism. If you're going to be hyper-focused about something, it, it's it's great it's about that as opposed to some people, you know, might channel it into an addiction or gambling or shopping. You know, this is this is yeah. a good thing. Yeah, exactly. I kind of I really related to her when she said that. I was like, oh, that kind of makes sense. Maybe that's why I've been so obsessed with it. So, and I, and yeah. I, think, I think kids are also, I mean, I remember being outraged by homeless people when I was younger and, like, why was my dad so mean that he wouldn't give to homeless people every time he saw them on the street? And so I think as kids you do have that innate kind of passion and fire but it's yeah. tempered with a little bit of unrealism maybe oh absolutely I, I've definitely even up until kind of my mid-20s I was definitely more idealistic than I am now and that's kind of what I've wrapped into the radical optimism it's not about this kind of like dreamy wishy-washy everything's going to be fine thinking it's about kind of facing the hard facts and showing up anyway which I think is a lesson we all kind of need to know about ourselves in every facet of our lives. Yeah, it's going to be occasionally shit, but we can pick yeah, ourselves yeah. up and work through it. I mean, what I loved about this book is, although you, you cover obviously quite a lot of meaty, heavy topics, um, you frame it within the context of hope. So despite, you know, the world being pretty messed up at the moment, we don't have to get into this nightmare doom sort of cycle. So what was it specifically like about the idea of hope that you find so important and, and how can we kind of relate to that word and, and bring that into our own lives? Well, I think the reason, I mean, a lot of people that I speak to, a lot of authors say that they write the book that they need. Um, and I definitely did that with, with Hope as a Verb. 
um, when I was, so I opened the book with my kind of one of my moments where I just kind of crumbled into despair, which was when I, I'd been learning about overfishing and then I went into the supermarket and I saw the tuna aisle and I could just imagine this being one store in one suburb in one country and just how how could there be enough tuna to fill that many cans so, <laughs> and that sent me into a complete spiral um and at the time I was blogging and I was I was participating in lots of community events and being so despairing made me want to quit it all and so I I, I did I did I kind of gave up for a while and then the the pain of not Kind of following through with my values started to hurt more than actually facing them but it did show me how quickly our anxieties especially in these like overwhelming existential threats that we're facing it can turn very quickly to apathy and that's we we need the opposite of apathetic humans at the moment we need really hopeful helpful people who are showing up to to meet these problems yeah it's interesting you say that because um obviously your first step in the book is about you know to stop freaking out and between the pandemic, which we're so bored of talking about, but then there's, you know, climate <laughs> crisis and gender equality, systemic racism, waste, poverty, and there are a lot of problems out there in the world. And I think you could be forgiven for, I think it's either just too hard or big to deal with. So, you know, a lot of people kind of consume all the news and get really freaked out and depressed. Or I noticed that some people do tend to go more into denial. I was chatting to a couple of women at the gym this morning and and I said I was going to talk to you and and they were like, oh, well, you know, it's too late. The world's fucked. You know, we can't eat anything. Yeah. We can't do anything. So what would you kind of say to the people that are either freaking out or just think it's, you know, it's too late to make a difference? Yeah, I think it's, um, I think it's uh, really interesting for, like, as you said, the denial. And I think it's about trying to change their stories and the narratives that they've got I, I heard the other day there's like three pervasive narratives I think so it's Colin Bevan who's an amazing writer he he came up with this and he was saying that there's these three narratives and it's the the monster within and that's the the kind of the humans are crap we're all doomed narrative there's the monster without and that's saying it's all too big and we're we're not going to win and then there's the utopian fantasy of just like someone's going to design us out of all these problems and it's all going to be perfect none of them and very helpful <laughs> yeah no that's the thing and I think it's just kind of when I talk to people who are who are like that I try to appeal to or figure out their values and then appeal to them in a story and that's why the second chapter is is about changing your story it's about kind of creating a new narrative for people and, and showing them ways to be hopeful about things because we're not we're not doomed yeah, <laughs> well, that's, that's, easy what, to that's what I think it is good about the book is it, it is to whatever level you are at in terms of being a good human, if we're going to call it that broadly, <laughs> yeah. um, even if you're entry level or, or you're, you're already doing lots, it, it gives you more ideas because it doesn't just focus on, you know, the environment or social activism, etc. Um, I was listening to your chat with Alex Stewart on the Low Tox podcast. She's another really good socially conscious human. Um, and I realized <laughs> how, and I hope maybe not. I, I imagine a fair amount of our listeners um, might be similar in that I'm pretty far down the socially responsible food chain. Um, you know, I, I recycle, I don't use plastic straws. Um, I have a soda stream. I'm not an animal, um, but I've got <laughs> quite a long way to go. So where does someone who's just at that kind of entry level yeah, I know I need to do more. I need to do better. Where is the place for us to start? Is it 
about a physical thing or is it about working out what we're passionate about or what would you say for people who are like I know I need to do better but how do I start? I think it is about paying attention to the issues that really call to us the things that we can't ignore. I always think about mine because plastic was my kind of like entry into really really being committed to kind of making a change and I would walk past all this plastic littering on the ground and it would just call to me um, but I did I felt like overwhelmed by the problem mm. and, and for, every, for other people I guess it's, it, it might be something else that completely just irritates them you know whether it's, yeah, it's exactly. their yeah like you mentioned homelessness the uh, an issue with homelessness like it's it doesn't have to be environmental or social it's just figuring out what it is and then just kind of seeing the first steps that you can do simple steps and then growing it from there yeah, I, I, I always like to talk about how interconnected it all is. Like you, you start somewhere, and so environmentally speaking, with plastic, you start environmentally, but then you look at all the social issues that are associated with it, and you realize you're kind of having a massive impact just from this one habit change. Yeah, I mean, I was trying to t- talk to my son about it the other day. We went into, I think, Cotton On store, and he was like, "This is amazing. The t-shirts are like four dollars," and I was like. Mm. Yeah. This this causes me some pain, mate, because much as I like to go to Kmart and stock up, um, I, I do a bit of writing and I've been doing some stuff on, on modern slavery and responsible sourcing. And again, it's a whole world that I, I didn't really know the extent of it. That doesn't mean child labor that, you know, there are slaves in Australia up in Queensland right now picking fruit. Um, like it yeah. is it is in our backyard. And, and I think that thing about being in denial, you know, OK, so there's a couple of cases in New South Wales. Uh, if I don't turn on the TV, I don't have to see what's happening in India. Um, but a lot of things, people don't have to go for a big global cause necessarily. They can go for something that is in their actual suburb or their community or or, or something. So really start at, at sort of grassroots, which I really liked. And that's something that's kind of resonated with me in the last few days since I've read it. Um, so maybe you can talk a little bit about that kind of importance of community. Well, yeah, I mean, what you're kind of describing is the the process that I've gone through, which is obviously that's in the book. It's the kind of living the think global, act local saying. And I like to kind of think of things like if something's happening over there, you can pretty much guarantee it's happening over here. So, I mean, I think a really good example of this would be George Floyd. Um, that obviously was such a terrible thing and a lot of people feel very far away from it. And or Another example could be maybe like the, the fires that happen in, in the Amazon or, or the deforestation in, in the Amazon. And then you kind of, it's easy to kind of go, God, that's over there, that's terrible, but what can I do? I'm this little person in Australia. Both of those situations, I kind of, when George Floyd happened, I started looking into the terrible treatment that we have of, of Aboriginal Australians and police brutality here and what I can do about that here. I was really shocked um, when the Amazon when I was thinking about the deforestation in the Amazon, looking in my backyard, because I'm in southwestern Australia in the most beautiful um, forests, and I found out that we're having 10 football fields worth of them cleared every day. Yeah, and, and so it is, it's, so it's I a... I that was over there, but it's not, and I can actually help here. I've got my feet on the ground here. Yeah, I mean, so one, one of the things you talk about in the book is that, you know, when the bushfires came, like everyone, because it was there and it was in their backyard, people can relate to it more. And 
I think at our heart, most of us are pretty nice people. Like you see someone falling over, you'll go and help them up. You're not going to kick them. <laughs> so generally, I yeah. think if we if we think about it and just try and and I love that kind of nafs of saying that you know you leave every person feeling a little bit better about themselves or something, and it's a bit like that on a broader scale. Um, and yeah. it, it doesn't take much. I mean, if, if we're going to start. You know, everyone says, you know, kindness, for instance. And uh, certainly at the beginning of the pandemic, I was really aware of how nice people were being hello and greeting each other in the street and, you know, paying for people's coffee. And so those small acts, I think we just have to remind ourselves because it's so easy to get consumed and being really selfish and just worrying about, you know, how much money I've made this week or those weird, you know, wrinkles on my neck and shit that doesn't really matter. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I think the way society is kind of set up at the moment, we do have so many of those distractions that are are real and valid. Like you're talking about how much money is coming in this week, like financial stress does distract us from things and we are all up in our head. And that's kind of what I like to remember as well is that, as you're saying, like most humans are nice and yeah, we are. And most humans are also afraid right now. And that's a really important thing that I keep in mind whenever I'm talking to someone about kind of making change is, meeting people where they're at and understanding that we're all pretty scared. If you have opposite opinions on something, you're both probably scared of a similar thing, really. Yeah, and we shouldn't be we shouldn't be scared of having different opinions. No, but I think it's it's people are because we're already at that level of just complete overwhelm and anxiety. When people say something that uh, goes against our beliefs, it feels scary. So you're like, well hang on a second. I, I look at the the vaccine arguments the anti-vaxxers or the people that are scared of vaccine injury are scared of their health for their health the people that are pro-vaccine are scared for their health same thing yeah yeah and it's it's a it's a way that you can kind of meet in the middle with people and kind of go okay we both want the same things now let's chat about this and yeah it's about finding solutions instead of pointing sticks and and yeah getting aggressive and if you read any of the comments in in you know on social media you can think everyone just loves to have a little go let's not have a go let's you know have a chat um I wanted to talk quickly because I I watched it a couple of weeks ago I was probably a little late to the game on this Seaspiracy um documentary um if you if you watch any of the documentaries on Netflix at the moment um certainly the ones about food and our our global food system um I mean between you know killing orangutans and destroying our marine life um we could half scare ourselves to death about eating anything if myself as a pretty regular human is going to make some tentative steps to eat I don't know if the word is more mindfully or more considerately what would you, having you know done more research on this, what are a few ways that I could start doing that? But P.S. I'm not going vegan, sorry. <laughs> no, I'm not vegan. I'm not vegan. Um, I think a piece that's been missing in this puzzle, because uh, most people could would maybe go, oh, just eat less meat, do this, go local. I think the important first step is kind of understanding where you're at. Um, envir- being in, they, there used to be this kind of concept of environmental elitism because going plastic-free, going organic is is expensive. Sometimes people don't have access to certain things. Um, There's a huge amount of privilege in there. So I think it's kind of going, okay, how much do I have to spend? What is accessible to me so that I can do this in a way that's going to be sustainable for me and will have long-reaching impacts rather than just trying to do everything and then falling in a heap, which, again, is what I kind of spoke about in the beginning of the book, like trying to do palm oil and just all of it. 
Um, so, and then I would just kind of, again, pick the issue that draws to you most. So if it's plastic packaging, start there, start seeing how you can source your food without plastic, like going to the bakery with your own bag, going to the butcher with your own containers, that sort of thing. Or if it is animal agriculture that is kind of really tearing you up inside, then it's starting to look at that, like look at ways where you can um, either reduce meat if you want to, um, pad things out with more vegetables or grains, or even eating sort of the, the byproducts that people don't usually eat that are not trendy, like organ meats sort of thing, when, where they get wasted a lot and are actually super nutritious. So it's just finding your in, I think, yeah. and then expanding it from there. I love, I saw on your Instagram, you had um, a post about, I think it was in one of your stories about the cauliflower bum. So, so you, oh, had a, yeah. you had a whole head of cauliflower and that little bit that you cut off and you immediately throw away. Um, yeah. Emily was calling that the cauliflower bum. Tell me what you can do with that, <laughs> the, the bum of the cauliflower. Oh, and you might like, my other favourite thing is the celery boner. <laughs> I didn't see that one. So if, if you uh, have your celery to go limp in the um, in the fridge, you can just kind of put it, cut the bottom off, put it in a glass of water, and it goes into, into erect once bottom. more. <laughs> <laughs> no more flaccid celery. Um, no, yeah, with yeah. the bottom of the cauliflower, she literally we chopped it up, and then did you bake it in the oven with like? Uh, um, yeah, I bake it, or I use it because I try not to have carbs, so I use that as like a potato. I cut it into chunks and try to pretend that it's potato. I know. Cauliflower curry. rice. I did so much cauliflower rice. I've kind of riced myself oh. out. Uh, I know. But I maybe know. that's something that's new. Trying to pretend. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I'm just looking at my notes here. So we touched on this a little bit earlier, but as I said, in addition to doing a lot of the practical things that we can do to make a difference, swap this for that, or maybe not buying so much stuff or being less wasteful. Um, in the broadest sense, you do talk about the importance of story and how we can change ours. Um, and I kind of find it interesting. There was a lady who talked about, and I haven't watched her TED talk yet, but about the problem with all of us having this one opinion maybe or single stories. And I spoke to a lady the other day, a Maggie Hamilton, when she was talking about diversity and the importance of having a diverse group of friends that you don't all have to agree, older people, younger people, people from different backgrounds, because we do tend to gravitate towards, I even read books about things that are similar to where I am. Um, so you, you talk in the book about like when great things have happened, diversity is one of the aspects. So how can we kind of realistically actually say to people, okay, how can I be more diverse? Like how can we start that? <laughs> I think that's, it really is that kind of like going towards the pain because that there it is completely satisfying preaching to the choir. Like I, I, and I think early on when I started sharing things, I really did that. Like I loved the fact that I could put out my opinion to people that were already converted and have it reflected back. And it's like great validation. Like, yeah. You know? Yeah. You just go, yeah, cool. I'm right. Uh -huh. Um, but I think we need to, when you look at any problem in the world, it's going to be, these these crises that we're facing we need everyone to come together so even though it's easy to just kind of say the the the, the standard opinion we need to start walking towards opinions that really grind us down and frustrate us and I think it's it's approaching people with curiosity and not not 
labeling people as good or bad and right or wrong because you don't know if you're right or wrong either. Yeah, I think and curious so I think- is brilliant. It's such a good word because like no, nobody's boring. If you ask the right questions, everybody's got something to teach you. Everyone's interesting about something. Um, yeah. And so I think curious is a really great word. Um, and also just understanding that everyone's got their their stories and that's in the in the that chapter I talk about the fact that we've got lived experiences we've got social social conditioning we've got all sorts of things that kind of make us into who we are and I think if we looked at people more like puzzles and just kind of go wow how did you kind of get to be here Mm. um and it instantly switches you into a mode of empathy rather than judgment um so I think yeah I think kind of walking towards the fire is an interesting way to get more diverse about things Okay, well, I mean, obviously we get our stories from, you know, our parents growing up and from our peer groups and, and things that happen to us. We also now, and especially recently, a lot of people are obviously getting their stories from the news. Um, I'm not a fan of the news. Um, certainly kind of mid last year, I went, uh-uh, nah, this isn't for me. This is making me permanently stressed. I was checking my phone all the time. How many cases, how many cases, what's happening? And it was just, I was going around on this sort of high level, just um, So I definitely... Very little engaged now. I will check the headlines of the ABC or or something like that. But bearing in mind what you're saying, obviously not watching the news is kind of irresponsible. I mean, should we watch the news? Is it our responsibility to watch the news? How do we better create our content? Hmm. I think it's, I mean, it's our responsibility to be informed. Um, And obviously the news is the way that we kind of think about that. But the, the, the mainstream sort of news has atrophied, I think, and is very fear-based. Mm. And they, you see it in so many headlines where they're using emotive words and they're really trying to get that response out of you because they know, and that's the cycle of doom I talk about in there. There's a flow chart where it kind of like they pique your interest, they make you scared, and then you just go on this thing where you have to find every bit of news about it and image and it really does kind of get us torn up. So I like the idea of going on a media diet um, and choosing, really, really choosing non-biased, boring sources. Like news should really be boring. Mm. There, There shouldn't be all these emotive words in them. And I think if you're finding yourself gravitating towards those sources of media, then you can change that, setting a time limit on how much and being conscious about getting into that wormhole of doom that, that happens when you scroll. Yeah, because once you've actually got the nugget of information and maybe you want to do a bit more research, you don't need to read it in five different variations, yeah. etc. I mean, like, you know, the Daily Mail is you know, a literary version of Big Mac. I mean, it's just going to make you feel shit. Um, but yeah. sometimes you still can't help yourself the draw and you're like, what? I, no, um, stop yeah. it. So I think, yeah, the media diet is important. Um, and I also think that there was a great newspaper and I don't know if they still have it, a magazine called The Week. And it was called Boring But Important. Um, and, and it was literally yeah. that. So you knew what was going on, but without getting into a yeah the wormhole. So I think um, that's good advice. Um, now, it wouldn't be a podcast about self-improvement without talking about our values. Um, <laughs> everyone that I talk to on the podcast brings it up. And so I kind of think, oh, I can't talk about that again. But it's true. And it, it, it comes to the heart, especially of what you're talking about here in, in finding your true calling in terms of self-improvement or world improvement, not self-improvement so much. Um, So step three in the book, because there are six steps, um, is about setting your inner compass, which I think is great because you can always then sort of find your way home. Um, 
And and you touch on Marlowe's hierarchy of needs, which are the three basic psychological needs for those that don't know, which is to feel safe, to feel like we belong, and to feel like we matter or uh, are significant. But beyond that, everyone's values are very different. And um, I like how you explain that, you know, a lot of people, you say, you know, what are your values? And they go, well, friends, um, my health, my work. But it is, it's more specific and broader than that. Can you explain what type of values might sort of resonate with people more than just that surface level that they're thinking of the things that are important to them? Yeah, I think that's, it's a good point because that's lots of people do just kind of think, well, those are my values, you know, family, love, purpose. But I think when you actually kind of realise that there are so many more layers to that, it's it's quite exciting. And I, I just think it's so important that people look into what they actually value. And I find that when people are feeling that kind of like, like they're kind of got a tug of war inside is generally because subconsciously they're not they're not they're not in line with their subconscious values and so I really you feel really you feel really shit if you have a big night and and drink more than you thought and stuff you know that doesn't feel good and it's a similar thing like that but with you know but these sort of issues exactly and that's the thing it's knowing your values becomes a really instructive part of your life because as you're saying so if one of your values, if you dig down and you realise like health is a very broad thing, but maybe yours is energy, maybe you really value vitality and meeting the day like with exuberance. Um, And I think so really looking into the right words because then you go, oh, okay, so feeling hungover the next day does not line up with my value and that's why not only am I have I got the pain of the hangover, but it's why I've got the suffering of my my going over this and berating myself. Yeah, the head noise. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's the thing. And that's, I think, um, a lot of people don't realise that the the reason that they're constantly going over is just because they're not in alignment with what they truly believe. Um, And 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 you've got a whole list of the values as well, like, which is great because sometimes, you know, they're things like, I don't know, it might be freedom or comfort or joy or beauty. And a lot of people think, beauty? Yeah. Is that a value? But they're all valid. How many should yeah. we pick? I, I go for five. Five. I, yeah, I like five. Solid, yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think that kind of tends to cover all the kind of aspects of our life, I've found. And also in terms of um, both the values and also getting started on on this journey of maybe, you know, small steps towards doing better, I think it's important that although we're sort of saying a lot of the time you've got to face the fire and you've got to, you know, do the hard things, some of it doesn't need to be hard because when you are in alignment with your values, you know, doing something that you're good at or you enjoy, it's actually really relaxing. So it's it's not as, in a way, as scary as it sounds because once you get that little slot, it, you feel better. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I mean, some of the issues that I tackle are pretty heavy environmental issues that do obviously scare me when I kind of think about what could happen um so my initial reaction to kind of want to give it all up you would think that that would feel better if I don't have it in my face but actually because I value creativity and the environment when I'm working towards it even though I'm I'm kind of wrestling with the with the scary stuff I feel better because I'm doing something and it kind of it reinstates your feel of control because you you are you're, you're truly doing what you can to control the situation because most of it is out of our control so you've just got to focus on what you can do and it it instantly feels better 
Yeah, I think that's really well described because it is true. You think not doing something would be easier, but it's not if it's what is your calling. The same with the outrage and the fighting. Like anger is the, the secondary emotion behind fear and anger kind of makes us feel a sense of control as well. So that's where I see people kind of commenting these nasty things. I'm like, even if, so I, I get a few nasty emails and I kind of go like, you poor thing. I think you're scared right now and I've done something to remind you of that. Um, so, yeah, it is, it's it's interesting, just the control thing. That's that's very chilled of you because I, I haven't yet had any mean emails. Um, <laughs> and I have to say, yeah, I think I, it would take me quite a little while just to get over, like, poor you, not, really, do they hate me? Um, oh, so. yeah. No, I do that too. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, hang on a second, I'm trying to be good here. Yeah, you're so um, non-offensive. <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, I just, I just don't reply straight away. I just go and have a little bit of a breathe and then remind myself of the, the fear thing. I think that's very interesting. I never even thought of that anger is kind of their way of feeling in control. I know it's controlling, but it's, it's a different um, yeah. sort of feel. Um, in, I think my favorite bit in the book, because you know, it is radically optimistic. It is not, even though we're talking about horrible things, it is uplifting all the way through. Um, and you say in there, I've quoted here, with every day, with every choice, you impact the world in countless ways. How wonderful. And <laughs> I, I just think that's brilliant. I mean, it reminded me, I had a friend the other day and she had made a major life choice. And she said, well, don't you remember you said to me a couple of years ago, da 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 I didn't even remember this piece of advice that I gave her, but it was something about, you know, having the confidence she could do it or something. And you, you realize the power of your words and your actions resonate years later. This is something, this is not me blowing my own trumpet. I've changed this girl's life, but it, it does go to show you've got to be really careful. I mean, my husband can come in, I'm in a bad mood. I can within 30 seconds change a whole evening depending on how I look at him the question I ask whether I smile yes. um so if we all just even think about that that we you know every every choice that we make does make an impact I think I, I've forgotten his name but there's a guy who wrote this book I think it's called how to be a Daymaker," and he was a hairdresser and this woman came in and he asked what she wanted done and she just said she wants her hair to look really nice. And he's like, oh, have you got something special on? And she said, yeah, I do actually. I have something for, planned for the weekend. And what he didn't know was that she was planning to, to kill herself on the weekend. Oh, wow. So she wanted her hair to look nice. And he didn't know that, had no way to know that. And he was just so wonderful and kind with her that he, he actually changed her mind. So she wrote him a letter saying, like, you actually changed my path. I've decided to give it all a go. So you wrote a book on kind of the importance of how just being a daymaker. Wow. And I think a lot of us try to, a lot of us can write ourselves off and just kind of, so for him, he could have said, oh, I'm just a hairdresser. What 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 can I do in the, in the great scheme of things? And it, it just shows that we're all necessary. No matter what job we do, we can have a real impact on the planet. Um, and the people around us, you know. So I, I love, I always think of that. So I should probably. I love that. <laughs> and, and that, what a great way to wrap up the podcast because the message that you give in that towards the end is, is, is about just start. And you can be a picker upper, a teacher, a spirit lifter. So it isn't about having to go to Africa and build a school or turning your whole life upside down to be a sustainable genius. It's just about starting. And if we all did that, 
goodness me, wouldn't everything be a lot more glorious? Yeah, I mean, it's it's the, it's the ripple thing. Like everything you do casts a ripple out and so many people I hear, they just say, oh, well, like in terms of what we were discussing earlier with food, kind of going, oh, no matter what I eat, it's going to have a bad impact. But then you can flip it. You can flip that script and go, well, yeah, everything's connected and everything I do makes an impact and it can be a good one. So I think, yeah, it's important to kind of just stop thinking we're too small and just do stuff. Brilliant. <laughs> do the good thing. I think, yes, everyone who's listening, you should just stop being so small. You aren't small. You're a lot bigger than you think you are. And let's all yeah. start making an impact. I've really enjoyed chatting with you, Emily, today. Um, I'm going to put how people can get the book. Is it coming out this week, I think, is it? Hope is about? Yeah, it came out in Australia um, a couple of days ago. And then UK is out May 13th. Fab. Well, definitely have a look. As I say, it's a really good gift. And we were talking just before we started pressing record about how accessible it is for children as well, which is if you're going to get people to start doing things, get them while they're young. Um, So it's also a fab book for kids. And all the people who are listening, thank you very, very much. If you've enjoyed it, please uh, give us a review, give some five stars and give some love to Emily by getting her book. Over and out. Bye. That's all the time we have. This podcast is brought to you by the fine people, well, me, at thinrichhappy.com. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, be sure to subscribe. Or if you really enjoyed this episode, please leave a review, which will help other people find the podcast. For extra podcast goodies, you can visit belesscrap.com.